Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. And it is autumn. It's settled in, at least up here in Boone. Leaves are changing. A little crisp, crispness in the air. It's not October yet, and it hit. It hit. It's like Boone knows the first day of autumn, and it just goes, okay, here we go. And I'm sure it'll we'll have a few more warm days before the cold really sets in, but that autumn crispness set in a bit, and I hope that you are settling in with it. Well, I sat down with my friend, well, on Zoom, with my friend Leah Berry, the second person that I'm having a second podcast conversation with, the first one was about disordered eating, and this one is about trauma. You can go back and listen to that. It's a really good conversation about disordered eating. And I'm just going to go through a little bit of her credentials again. And it's a bunch of acronyms that we talked about in the last one, and I don't remember what they all are, but just to show the validity of, of her as an authority on this is L-C-M-H-C-S, L-C-A-S, C-E-D-S-S, and then trauma training in T-F-C-B-T and E-M-D-R. I don't remember what that all means, but she is a licensed therapist who has trauma training. So before we listen to this conversation, realize that this is an actual trained, licensed counselor, therapist, trained in trauma this conversation was so helpful for me. I learned a lot of vocabulary words. I learned what certain phrases mean and just processing the concept and context of what trauma is. She shared some really helpful resources. Just as a reminder, Leah has her own practice. It's based in Raleigh, but she can do virtual. It's averyridgecounseling.com. So if you're looking for a good resource, you can reach out to her at averyridgecounseling.com. And even if it's not the right fit, she might be able to connect you with the right fit. So maybe mm, press pause and wait until you're in a place where you're ready to listen to something like this. So if you didn't really think this through in this podcast conversation, just sort of press play by itself and you're just kind of casually listening. Maybe get yourself in a place where you have an hour to dedicate to, to listening, to processing Maybe take this conversation in doses. Maybe listen for a while and press pause. Go get a drink of water. Get something to eat. Circle back to it. And I really hope that whether you're listening to this based on your own trauma or maybe you want to help someone else who has gone through trauma or maybe a little bit of both, hopefully this will be a tool that will help. But I, I've had a hard, the hardest time using the word trauma. And sometimes I, I feel like I need to use a disclaimer and I say something like lowercase t trauma because I want to yes. minimize, I want to minimize my own trauma when I talk to people about my trauma, mm-hmm. at, which is probably both healthy and unhealthy because I shouldn't minimize my experience. Right. But I'm right. trying to do it to, to show that 
Like I'm not trying to compare something that I went through, like an animal dying or something in that category compared to like what the worst things that humans have ever experienced. Right. Exactly. So I'm yeah. saying it to not to minimize, yeah. although sometimes I do think I am trying to minimize it because I'm trying to deflect it and not sure. talk about it Absolutely. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, who wants to? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, who wants but to I guess talk we about should. trauma? Mm-hmm. Apparently a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people do. Um, yeah. But I think, mm, yeah. But what is it? But what is what is trauma, what is though? Because I think there's really capital T and lowercase t. I love that you even know that. this. <laughs> you know the capital and the lowercase? Oh, I don't know that it's a thing. It's something that I accidentally did. Is that a, is that a real thing? No, that's a real thing. But regardless of the capital letters, what does the word mean? So I guess in the psychology field, the capital T trauma is, and what is in the diagnostic statistical manual, the definition is something that is life-threatening or causes loss of life, um, either to yourself or to someone else. Like you are threatened or someone else is threatened or did die. Um, with like a side caveat of like sexual assault, no matter like being afraid of dying, that's not a part of it, but having something like that happening to you. So learning about the loss of someone or something that was threatening to their life or that happening to you. And then the little T trauma um, isn't in the DSM, but people talk about that as related to like significant life events that are kind of altering. Um, so like loss of a pet that's really hard. And so I think if you think of just the pet thing, the difference between the two, a big T trauma would be like seeing something very horrific happening um, or in the context of, um, I don't want to be graphic, but like something really, really disturbing happening yeah. with an animal yeah, yeah. Um, where you're very scared um, versus a, gr a grieving process mm -hmm. that's really hard to lose a person and that's traumatic. Um, that's kind of how... I would categorize those two. Um, so, it but it also, like, I think the the hot topic has been that people call everything a trauma now, which is the uh, criticism. Right. Yeah. Right. It, but at the same time, if it's if it's life altering, what else would you? You don't want to minimize it so much. But is there another word, maybe? Because I don't want to overuse the word trauma, but I don't want to say like, oh, that's not a thing. If it's a thing. I mean, I think everybody's experience is their own experience. I think using trauma as like a everything is traumatic to me is an overgeneralization. Um, but I think it's hard because everybody's experience is really unique to them and every situation is very unique. It seems to me, you know, this is me not being, you know, professional in this category, uh, but it seems like when it's not in the natural order of things right the word trauma comes to mind like um if you lose someone to death and they die i feel like regardless of the situation it's traumatic because it is like before you knew them before they died and now they are forever dead and that's a trauma mm -hmm. thing right. but if they right. but if they were old and had lived a long, happy, healthy life, it somehow feels less traumatic because it's more quote unquote natural. 
Right. But that doesn't and mean that it's, it's easy or anything like that. That but. doesn't mean it's easy. No. And so I think that's where the word gets confused, where like trauma, people are saying, well, that was traumatic for me as like a synonym for hard. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Grief is hard and any yeah. loss is hard. But yeah. if it, yeah. Mm. But I think from think... a psychology standpoint, that's not the way that we would look at it. Like hard is not trauma. Uh-huh. Hard is a lot of different things. Right. And hard things still need to be processed. Yeah. And, and by saying something is like with a grief example, if it's not a trauma, but it's grief, that doesn't mean it's not important. I think that's the other thing that people are giving some attention and like giving some credit to people who've experienced trauma. And we still may minimize other things like, uh, an appropriate grief process being really hard, but it's, you know, I think people pay more attention if you call it trauma, um, which isn't yeah. necessarily accurate because grief is just hard. Um, or other so maybe, maybe hard. that's why I'm do, like, when I say, I say lowercase T, I'm trying to say that was life alteringly hard for me. But I'm acknowledging that it isn't in the category of those most horrific things. Right. I just wish it was a different word instead of just that was hard for me. Because that's like, there are so many things in life that are hard that I don't, I wouldn't even come close to using the word trauma. Yeah. Then there are some that I kind of want to, even if they're not. Yeah. Let's, let's, Let's coin the phrase. I mean, I think if you pick it apart that much, then you're just going to, everybody's going to drive themselves crazy. Um, But I think um, when I think of little T trauma, events that I think of like that are like a parental divorce that is not amicable. You know, like there's yelling involved. There's a lot of discord. There's a lot of um, animosity. And a kid witnessing that and feeling scared, they're not scared they're going to die, but they're scared for what their life is going to be like, how things are going to turn out, or blaming themselves for it. You know, that's life altering and impactful and not in a big T way where it's like, I'm afraid for my safety. Right, right. Um, But it is hard to be like, okay, well, sorry. like your parents gone and now your parents are fighting and your whole world is your parents. Like that's, it's different when you're that age. And so there is a sense of lack of safety just in your world, but not in your livelihood. Does that make sense? I don't, it it does. And it makes me, it makes me think of, which again, I'm not, I haven't been trained in in the ways you have, but isn't it true that if it's your perception your body still releases the same kind of chemicals as if it was happening. Yes. Yeah. So therefore, even if it isn't capital T trauma, your body can, can react exactly as if it was. Right. Like stress hormones are stress hormones, no matter what. So going to therapy and dealing with something that isn't capital T trauma can still be the same kind of process as if it was. Right. And it, I think it depends on the type of trauma therapy that you're doing, which might be getting ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But therapy is useful for all of these things. Um, And I think a skilled trauma therapist knows how to address 
all the different types of ways that people experience trauma. I think the the big T traumas often result in PTSD symptoms. Little T traumas rarely result in PTSD symptoms. That's another defining oh, thing. Yeah. I, I also think of the, when I hear the word trauma, sometimes it's used in like a medical, physical, like trauma to your knee or ankle or whatever and it's not to your mind and thought process although obviously it it involves that but it's it's if you banged your knee a little bit and it hurts really bad that's that's hard but that's not the same as when they would say there was trauma to your knee that's a whole other category and then there's all sorts of usually long-term implications to that right like do we need to do surgery or are we letting a bruise heal and not that the bruise doesn't hurt the bruise is important um it it takes healing but that's a different treatment process than having to right you know work on an infection and like try to heal that but when it's a knee you can measure it probably a little bit more specifically than if it's your emotions right right can we do I mean, that? That's though? always I'm the saying... thing about psychology. That's always the psychology thing. Like, how do we measure anything that is a human emotional thought? Is, is it possible though? Like with with uh, reading scans of the brain, is this becoming more and more doable? Yeah. So, a um, little bit of history lesson. Um, if anybody who's listening is like super interested in stuff, number one book: The Body Keeps the Score. Which so you mentioned good. last time, didn't you? Or at least yeah, we talked about it in I the past. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mentioned it. I mentioned it all the time. Um, <laughs> the thing that's really cool about it. So Bessel van der Kirk is who wrote it, and he kind of outlines in the first third ish of the book the process of going from the world of psychology not understanding trauma, and then being able to really hone into what trauma is. And one of the big pivotal points was when they were able to do fMRI scans. And so what they does were that mean? so they're functional MRIs. So you can watch what happens to a person's brain as something's happening to okay. them. Like you see what happens over time. And I'm not a doctor, so I don't know all the details, but they can take images. And what they found is that if you have a person and they and you remind them of a traumatic event, like a very scary car accident where they, a person almost died and they're having PTSD symptoms as a result of it later on. Take that same person, tell them about the car accident. While they're in this machine, things happen to their brain. And so there are actual things that happen to our brain that affect, that are affected when we experience trauma. Um, And that's a whole, I mean, there are people that do that for a living, like this is a whole branch of stuff. Um, but in very basic terms, a couple of things, um, a person's, what I call like a person's monkey brain. So like people are very sophisticated. So we have like 
are the base of our brain and like the middle part of our brain that's a lot of very basic functions. And then our cortex is, which is all on the outside, is responsible for kind of higher level functioning things. So like your frontal lobe cortex is responsible for, let me make some wise decisions and let me think through these things. And humans have big cortexes compared to other animals that don't have them or have very small cortexes. But we all have the part of us that it's like, food must eat, danger, run away, danger, fight back. That's the part of your brain in the middle that I call the monkey brain. A lot of people call it monkey brain. That when a person experiences a trauma, your brain kind of latches on to those types of events and when you're exposed to them again, your monkey brain responds instead of your cortex. So, which is like super cool if we're living in the jungle and it's like, oh, tiger almost ate me. Tigers are bad. Survive. When I think I hear a tiger, I need to run away. In the 21st century, not super helpful for, I almost died in a car accident. Now cars, danger, don't get in them but I have to drive to work, right? Or, like, or this person office. this person hurt me 30 years ago. This person isn't even alive anymore, but somehow is still causing my brain to do the same thing. Right. And it could be a look that somebody, it could be so many things that trigger that, but it's yeah. the monkey brain that takes over, which is our like survival instincts that take over. And our cortex is not, in the decision-making driver's so, seat anymore. But apparently we can be trained to shift which part of the brain we use in response to those moments. So I think, I think of it as less of a lack of, you could call it training. I think it's a reprocessing in the brain to kind of get that part of the frontal lobe online. And there are different kinds of therapy that do different things, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, essentially that's the goal is like, can my whole brain respond to these events instead of my brain being hijacked when it's exposed to a reminder? Um, and there's more to it than that. That's like literally the most basic I could make it. There's also, well, that's know, what I need. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's like heart rate increase it, like all of these processes, it's pretty complicated. Um, and then the whole other Thing of um, attachment trauma, um, which kind of what does yeah. that mean? Um, like the idea that like when you're a child and your parent goes away, mm -hmm. that's an attachment trauma. And when you're a kid and your parent goes away, that's dangerous. Like evolutionarily, mm -hmm. like us as humans, when you're even little, though it's that's natural, that's kind of in that category of like it's natural. It's not. Yeah, that's not supposed to be okay to be a child fending for yourself. And so then that can create its own processes. And there are people who do, especially people who do. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. I was saying it was natural. I just meant like, oh, there are moments that you like leave the room and that's natural, but the kid can think they're being abandoned. And it's actually natural to learn that sometimes people go in the other room, but that's not yeah. what you're talking about right now, though, is well, it? Well, I mean, Yes. So a secure attachment would be parent leaves the room, kid is like, oh, don't leave me. And then they learn parent comes back and parent uh -huh. attends to their needs. And, you know, that creates a secure attachment. Attachment trauma is like, I have this secure attachment person. And then um, 
my parents get divorced and then my mom gets remarried and I never see her again. And so now my attachment person that keeps me safe, like the person who's in charge of my world is gone. Um, And then that, you know, can lead to other processes. And so it kind of gets into your nervous system. There's polyvagal theory that gets into like, like when you, you can feel like you're being abandoned in an adult interpersonal relationship and then your nervous system gets all out of whack from that perceived abandonment that was really developed as a young child. So attachment trauma is its own trauma just gets so big when you start talking about it. So we have like, I mean, this seems little hearing that kind of stuff seems hopeless. Yes. And we are super resilient humans also. So there's the like nature nurture thing. Yeah. And not everybody is affected by the same event in the same way. Like people are super complicated. So, you know, me and my sister only 15 months apart, we went through a lot of the same things and we weren't affected the same way by them. Like when we moved to Boone, I don't, I'd have to check in with her on this. I don't think she was as like, little t traumatized by it as I was. I had a really hard time adjusting. And there was a lot of things that I struggled with around that time. But some other things that, you know, I'm just like, oh, that bothered you? She was like, oh yeah, that totally bothered me. Um, That I was kind of surprised by because we're just different people. Um, So I think that's the other thing. is, you know, what a person and their whole personality and their makeup brings to the context of a situation. The the idea of resilience is also a huge field. And when you think of resilience, there are like personality characteristics, like I just mentioned, and just human differences. But then there's also like, does a person have supports when a trauma happens? Do they feel good about the way that they handled a situation? Do they... Um, were they able to like, in the midst of a big T trauma, were they able to try to get themselves to safety or were they stuck? You know, like if you're stuck, you're more likely to have symptoms than if you are able to fight your way out, even though it's traumatic, that instinct of getting out and getting to safety is protective. Um, there's a documentary called resilience. It's really good that goes through all of this stuff. So when you look at resilience factors, you have a lot of those types of things, Um, and then risk factors for not reacting well would be like pre-existing mental health problems, having multiple traumas, um, the more severe the trauma, the worse it's likely to affect somebody, um, not having any support, you know, suffering alone. Um, I think the more stuck a person feels all of those types of things make it more likely that a person will have lasting effects from a trauma down the road. Um, wow. How so, did yeah. you get into to that as a part of your practice as a therapist? <laughs> um, I never intended to do trauma work, which is the story of my whole career. I never intended to do any of this. Um, but I was a therapist just kind of chugging along, figuring out where I was going to go. I think I'd been working for three or four years or so. And I was working for um, an agency that wanted to train all of their therapists in trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And Duke 
um, had just started a program where they were training, doing an intensive training with clinicians um, in that modality. It's the Center for Child and Family Health. Um, it's an offshoot from Duke. Um, I think it was the second cohort and they were like, will you do this? And I was like, okay. And it wasn't particularly something that I was looking for, but I was there for it and I really loved it and I was really good at it. Um, in the meantime, what I didn't know about myself at the time, I was, let's see, how old was I? 28-ish, I was in my late 20s. Um, I didn't realize how much I had minimized my own trauma. Um, so I think what was actually happening for me was I was really good at it because I intuitively knew how people felt even though I was repressing my own stuff. Um, and so my journey really has been, oh, hey, <laughs> what I see in my clients, I'm also experiencing. And then it's been kind of a parallel process. Like, let me get my own help while I'm also helping other people. But I think what I found is that what I'm really good at, I'm good at because I have this like very intuitive sense of, oh, I get that. Or if it's not exactly the same situation, it's something similar enough that I can like, almost like, I feel like I can read people's minds in a way, not exactly, but enough to be like, oh, could it be this thing? Um, where if I'd never had my own life experiences, I would never have as much compassion, empathy, passion at all. Um, and on the flip side, I would imagine a lot of the clients almost, oh, I, I don't know what they would want, but it seems like they might like the fact that you have had your own stuff you've dealt mm -hmm. with as opposed to like, yeah. oh, I'm always been fine. I just am here to help you, yeah. you know, kind I've of just thing. Lived a charm <laughs> life. Yeah. 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 And I don't necessarily tell people, like if it comes up, I'll say like, I might mention, you know, been through things, um, mm -hmm. but I'm not there for me. Um, right. If it's clinically appropriate, I might say something, but without any detail. Um, but I think sometimes people just know, yeah. you know, like when you meet somebody who's been through something that you've been through, it's almost like this unspoken, like you just know. And it's well, like, well, oh, intuitive people really like yourself, people. probably people that are intuitive, like probably figure it out like you're, you do. Right. But some people probably don't. Yeah. They're just so yeah. into their own story. And right. Yeah. Even but I think you. I don't work with people who have autism or support parents of who have kids with autism it's not something that I've ever had very present in my life you know like in my face I can do it I can learn it textbook I have done it I, I mean in general just with it showing mm -hmm. up in my office you can't avoid certain mm -hmm. things as a therapist be like no mm -hmm. don't come, don't come here um mm -hmm. but it's not something that I feel just like clicks in the same way and so I think that's how I've really stuck with it is that it just clicks in a um, way that other things are don't. most of your clients and I, I know you can't talk about your actual clients but I, are most people that talk about trauma did they go through the capital T trauma most people who seek out my services for trauma therapy have been through a capital T trauma a lot of my clients present with other presenting symptoms. And then when we start processing things, then there might've been a capital T trauma, 
And then I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> this is where this presenting problem came from. It was a capital T trauma. Sometimes it's a little T trauma. Um, and so, and not everybody, but a lot of mm-hmm. people. Because that's always been my struggle with, because I mean, I've gone to counseling and I've also gone to a spiritual director and I always feel this weird. I feel it less than I used to, but at first I felt like I needed to constantly let them know that I don't think that I've gone through one of those. And I almost felt like I'm slightly wasting their time. What do you mean? Like, I don't want to sound like I'm super duper complaining about something that isn't the capital T. Right. And because I feel like maybe an hour before they sat down with somebody that went through something so horrific and I'm just processing my feelings. And I kind of have this thought, like, are they just sitting there thinking like, man, this guy, this guy's complaining about nothing right now. So if that's what your therapist is thinking, then what's the first thing you should do? <laughs> well, I would, they'd never Fire tell them. me that. They'd never <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> I mean, that might go back to your own minimizing your own trauma. It's like more about you minimizing it, it is, than it is. I'm not, yeah, I'm that like, therapist. That's, right, that's absolutely right. But when I get into a good place and I'm actually willing to sit in that stuff, Mm-hmm. And just say, hey, I'm a person and I matter too. And I can process my yeah. feelings. And I don't have to have gone through one of these to, no. to sit down with someone and process it. It, no. becomes, it becomes really helpful. It's just what, yeah. sometimes I get hung up on the other stuff. I mean, lots of people do. I mean, there are so many things that people get worried about with going to therapy. And I think that's, that's one of them. And to be fair, there are some therapists. I've heard mm-hmm. therapists say like, Oh, I'm tired of hearing people talk about first world problems. Like people are oh, yeah. all their other people suffering. And then I'm like, well, so you either need some really good supervision or you mm-hmm. only need to work with really traumatized folks or you need to mm-hmm. find another job if that's your perspective. Yeah, and there and- is some of that. There is the first world thing. Like I remember I was at uh, a store and the person that was doing, working at the store checking people out this is pre pre COVID. And she, she sniffed or say pre COVID cause she was like, her nose is running and she was, you know, you know, and she was like, uh-huh. Oh, she goes, Oh, uh, sign stuffy sinuses are literally the worst thing in the world. And I was like, not literally though like <laughs> you know, yeah like, <laughs> that is not the definition of literal right? and worst right. and in the world like those right. things together like, i mean it's not it's, really. it's rough i get it <laughs> but it's yeah. not literally the worst thing in the world not literally the worst <laughs> thing in the world well and i think a good therapist is number one just going to attend to what shows up in the room regardless like trauma therapist or not it's just this is a person's experience and this is what we're working on and what came before and what comes after totally separate things and if it's important enough to a person to show up in a therapy room and talk about it then like it's important end of story um and if it is something that's you know i'm using air quotes i don't people can't Mm -hmm. see air quotes um first world problems um 
there's something underneath that. It's like, are we talking about first world problems because you don't want to talk about the real stuff? Are we talking mm. about first world problems because it's like representative of a bigger problem? Are you irritable? And that's one of your symptoms. Like there's so much more to it than that. So and you're I think trying to help people to, like, get through that. Yeah. You're trying to help the person dig down a bit to find out yeah. when they're ready. But then, if, but then of course it's not, there isn't always the capital T thing as the foundation. Oh. And that's okay. So, yeah, yeah. And and so like how do you if you have training in trauma therapy, but it's not like it says, Oh, at two o'clock I have a trauma appointment. Right. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? How do you how do you do that? How do you discern? Um lots of training and lots of experience to like know what questions to ask, to know um how to build rapport with people and just gather yeah. information to do. I mean, it's differential diagnosis is a really challenging thing. Um, yeah. And, and something that a lot of therapists spend a lot of time working on is being able to develop a really good conceptual conceptualization of a person's presentation. And then that directs everything you do after that. So if my conceptualization is trauma and then everything afterwards, then we're addressing at some point, the trauma, I mean, it might be everything afterwards has to come first, but, but there's, it's a part of the conceptualization and there can be a totally separate conceptualization, which might be strong family history of OCD. This person OCD from five years old, mm -hmm. no traumas reported, you know, very likely OCD that is genetically based. And we don't have to look for anything else. Um, yeah. But I never don't keep an eye out. Some people don't disclose trauma for years into a therapeutic process. I mean, I didn't. The first time I went to therapy, I, I think it was probably a year and a half in where I kind of dropped the like, oh yeah, this thing happened. And my therapist was like, hold on, what? Go back. Like, what happened? And I was like, this thing and she was like well, you never told me that and I was like you never asked so for some reason you didn't want to either didn't want to share it or thought it wasn't relevant I dismissed it I think um my own process of this I think you know, what I experienced was in college and I was in college from 2000 to 2004. And we didn't know, like we, people didn't talk about what we talk about now in terms of yeah. what is sexual assault, what's not sexual assault, what's consent, what's not consent. And so in my head, it was like, well, this was all my fault. You know, like I put myself in this situation, these things happened. And so you know, I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps and like keep moving. And then, you know, now we do have the benefit of people have come forward and there has been a lot of talk about stuff. And I think it's a little easier for people to be like, oh, this was not okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you minimize like, it because our culture had minimized it. Yeah. And I mean, I think as humans, we just, and not as like a conscious process, we minimize things. I mean, as do you a trauma, think that, 
Do you think that we minimize things back to their monkey brain thing? Do we minimize it in order to survive and move on to not have to sometimes experience the pain? I mean, I think this goes all the way back to like Freud got a lot of things wrong. Like most things wrong. But one thing that he and Laura Freud got right, I think Laura, his daughter, um, got right are a lot of the defense mechanisms and denial and repression are psychological processes that are there. And it's, you know, I think going through the process of being in therapy and then being like, hold on, wait, that was a trauma. What, how have I never thought about it that way? And then sometimes people repress trauma, literally don't remember it. And then from what I understand, the average human, the humans don't remember anything accurately period that's what from what i understand given a certain amount of time we really don't even have an accurate account and that's not even with trauma that's just with it perception is reality right like yeah we remember very clearly that grandma's carpet is blue and it wasn't and it was just like but it but no it was but we were wrong (laughs) and that that can really screw with our process and trauma process it's got yeah and and in regards to that, the only thing that matters is a person's perception. Okay. If it if the carpet was blue, the carpet was blue. And if the carpet being blue means that I might die. And that's what we gotta process. That's what yeah. happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to debate it. You can't go back and prove it if you don't have like a picture, you know, but yeah. our life is not in pictures. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's where things get really muddy and we don't remember things in details we don't remember things like movies it's a lot of snapshots or like Mm. one little piece of a memory especially with trauma and people will just have like a snapshot of it or it's one little piece um not always sometimes people have the whole shebang um Mm. that they remember but um but yeah i mean there's there are always fallacies in memory how how do how do people, what should someone do? I mean, this is maybe more of what I should have asked at the end instead of now, but oh, like if someone thinks that they've experienced trauma, what do they do? I mean, it depends on the trauma and it depends on what they're trying to do something about. So if they're having mental health symptoms, then going to therapy is a good thing when somebody's ready. So I think there's also not a timeline. I think one of the things that is hard about trauma work is that forcing somebody to do trauma work is counterintuitive um, because this, this like one, one symptom of trauma is avoidance. So asking somebody to do something like trauma work it's literally asking them to not engage in a symptom, uh-huh. which is hard. And so I think it takes people time to get to the point where they're willing to say, hey, I need to do this work or can tolerate it. There's a lot of preparation work to it. But when a person's ready, therapy is good for the psychological piece of it. And um, and finding somebody who's trained which I can get on my soapbox now or later about that but I have a soapbox (laughs) meaning meaning some are not trained in it is that what you're getting at I will say 
if you go to psychology today and you are looking for a therapist and you narrow by specialty and you click trauma, you will get a lot of responses. And the degree to which people are trained in trauma will vary widely with what you get. So I think it depends. Some people will say, I do trauma work and they've had some trauma-informed training. And then there are other people like I did that collaborative that I did for TFCBT was a year long. It was 45 hours of continuing ed. And I think I had a consultation supervision three times a month. And I had to like show fidelity to the model. I mean, it was like an intense process. Um, and then I've had more training since then, but that was just the first, my first dive in. And so there's just a wide variety. So I would say, um, since it is a hot topic and everybody's like, oh yeah, I do trauma work. If you're looking for a trauma therapist, find out what training they have, because not every trauma therapist is created equal. Um, and there are lots of different types of trauma treatment modalities. And so finding the one that you think is the best fit for you is a good way to go too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like if, if you back to the physical part, if you, if your trauma was physical, like, uh, well, the word physical is too broad. If your, if your trauma was an accident, a car accident, mm-hmm. but, it, but then it caused triggers for you, but it is just related to cars just so happen to hit each mm-hmm. other. And that was, that was absolutely a trauma that mm-hmm. is different than being abused or something like that. There, so there's got to be a different way of processing it, I would imagine. Not really. No, Whoa. you'd be surprised at how similar that is. Yeah, no, it's super similar. I think the different approaches are more, are we going to do like a cognitive behavioral therapy approach? Like, are we talking through this? Are we? I don't know what that, I don't really know what so that phrase means. I've heard people cognitive use behavioral it. therapy is like, we're looking at how your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors all interact. And then we're looking at what are our core beliefs, what are your automatic thoughts, we're reframing them, thinking about them in different ways, figuring out how that's related to your feelings and your behaviors, some behavior changes that you can make, like, I'm more likely to feel depressed if I lay in bed all day, so let me get up and, you know, behavioral activation is one thing. Um, Sometimes that includes exposures of, like, I'm afraid of cars, so let's go let's look at pictures of cars first, or let's go stand next to a car, you know, doing some exposure work. So that's more the talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy approach. Um, And specific, so in terms of treatment modalities for children who have PTSD, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy is an evidence-based practice to treat PTSD in kids. Um, And it uses that type of approach and incorporates narrative therapy, which is essentially writing about the, like telling the story, Um, not by the kid's self at home. That is not helpful, Um, but with the therapist writing it, going through it. And you use the writing as a tool to process the the trauma. Um, The adult version of that that is um, an evidence-based practice is cognitive processing therapy, CPT, um, which is used a lot um, in like veterans affairs stuff. 
Um, it's similar to TFCBT, but different in terms of the details that are more things that therapists would pay attention to, but the same type of um, theoretic orientation when you're approaching it. Um, so that's one way, that's one type of treatment. Another camp is EMDR. Have you ever heard of that? No. Stands for eye movement. Oh, yes. Um, I have, I've never heard that. Processing. That acronym, but I've known people that yeah. have done that. What you're talking about? That. So that. Wait, say it again, because I I talked over you. Say so, what it is again. That's okay. EMDR. So eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. EMDR. Okay. Um, and that is it uses uh, bilateral stimulation. So usually eye movements going from one side to the other, but you can also use tapping from one side to the other or auditory sounds one side to the other in a very like systematic way that a therapist is trained to do to think about trauma content and allow your brain to reprocess it. Um, there are lots of theories on how that works. There are two hour long presentations about a summary of <laughs> what happens in the brain when this happens. Um, it's really cool though. I am, I recently got trained in EMDR. I love EMDR. I am currently doing EMDR therapy as a client um, and I love it and it's super effective for me. I think it's great. Um, and cognitive processing was great for me too. I think um, some people need a little bit of both. I needed to talk about it and then I needed to do the bilateral stimulation thinking. But essentially EMDR, the goal is to use that bilateral stimulation and the way that our brains process information. So it's really similar to like REM sleep, if you think about that, uh -huh. um, or if you notice when you're thinking about something hard or thinking really hard that your eyes will move a lot. It's that natural process that our, that's how it was discovered. scientific and not as much just get a feel for things. Yes, yes. It's like really- well, yeah. And what's so funny is that, so it was developed by Francine Shapiro um, and she, I think it was in the early nineties. I could be getting the exact date wrong, um, but she's, she was a therapist and she was a researcher, psychologist walking through, I could be wrong. She could be a psychiatrist. I'd have to go look mental health field, walking mm -hmm. through the woods, thinking on like a trail, thinking about something really hard and noticed that her eyes were kind of darting around and yeah. got very curious about it. Yeah. And then it developed, long story short, into this whole treatment modality. So they figured out that it worked before they knew why or how. Awesome. And they we're still trying to figure out. Isn't that fascinating why. that that's in my mind connected to, you know, how there are these theories about you can tell if someone's lying, if they look to the right, they might be making it up. And if it's to the left, mm -hmm. they're probably how our eyes would like it's not like we're looking at a file in our brain except maybe yeah. we are like whatever's connected in the back of the eyeball is and right. we're like yeah. we're trying to find the info and we're like oh that file yeah and then we're like trying to searching 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 yeah That's fascinating and there's something about there's something about the so one one theory is that it mimics REM sleep one theory is that your working on connecting both hemispheres of the brain. There's like, yeah, hemisphere that's, stuff. yeah, that's the um, first thing I thought of. Yeah. And, and really 
the research on a lot of this stuff isn't very robust. There are some problems with a lot of the research designs and people are doing a lot of new things. Um, and my guess is it might be a little bit of everything. Sure. Um, as you know, if there, there are like six theories, it could be four of them that are processes that work. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. But in The Body Keeps the Score, there's a whole chapter on EMDR. There's a whole chapter on narrative therapy, um, which is really cool. Um, another thing that can be really helpful for people is um, trauma-informed yoga. Um, one thing that is disrupted in the trauma process is being connected to your body. Um, so like perceiving your body and being really connected in and mindful and present in the moment. And so yoga can help with that. It can also help with um, just lowering arousal levels in the body, like stress levels and yeah. just be kind of yoga does that for um, me. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quote unquote good at the physical part. Like I'm not very flexible or whatever, I mean, but that it that actually, means. yeah, I know whatever that means. And my teachers there are all are always telling me to stop saying that kind of yeah, stuff. It's but not about the postures. I, yeah. yeah, but but the reason I bring it up is by not being an expert on that and not having as much of the flexibility, I can't do anything but focus on the physical. Like I, right. I have right. to just it's a very be fully mindful present. Experience. Yeah. And actually, whenever I am doing something like. I'm in the garden or I'm weeding or I'm like digging up something about when I'm touching mm -hmm. the earth. So it does mm -hmm. the same thing for me. Yeah. Very meditative. Yes. And I think that, and you know, with this stupid thing that I'm looking at all the time with my phone, I can always, <laughs> I can always um, have some modern thing to distract me from something, you know, and yeah. whenever, whenever I'm disciplined, even with you know, playing with my kids or something, if I can be disciplined enough to have absolutely no device in front of me to touch to whatever, if mm -hmm. I, I can be much more fully present with, you know, yes. playing with pretend yes. little stuffed animals. If I'm just like, that's literally the only that's thing. Literally I'm doing. It. That's why I love uh, hanging out with one-year-olds. It's like, we are just looking at where to take your next step because you're learning to walk. Like that's the most mindful practice ever. And it's so, and so, and so mindful for them. They're not aware that there is anything else to think about. <laughs> Right. You know, it's and, but it's just like yoga because you're just like, where do I put my body? And whether it's taking a step when you're not used to it or holding right. like a warrior two pose and being like, is my knee mm -hmm. crossing this line yeah. on my toe that's going to, you know, blah, blah, whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, but finding somebody who does trauma specific yoga, their trainings for that, um, which I would caution people for most yoga instructors are mindful of trauma but not all are I've been in yoga classes where like during shavasana like somebody came around without asking ahead of time and just like did this like press on my shoulders thing and so I'm like in shavasana and they show up and I'm like whoa 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 and mm -hmm. like for some people with trauma that could just be the yeah and um, I'm all and I love that stuff but every single time my teachers, they'll, they'll walk around, they'll ask, Usually which will, they well, for, for now, we're not, we're not doing any of that because, because of right. COVID yeah, stuff, but, but yeah, but yeah, but Shavasana think, is the end part, right? Where you die yes. at the end. Yes. 
And yes. um, yeah, that's so that's especially, it's supposed to be right. like this ultimate safe zone. Yes. <laughs> and for yes. them to just all of a sudden be hovering yes. over you without asking is not. Without cool. asking, no. And that usually doesn't happen, but I do like to caution people to make sure they find somebody that is at least trauma sensitive. But there are people who specifically are trained in yoga and then on top of it, trauma specific yoga and you can do like one-on-one classes that's just really geared towards trauma work um there's also a whole other branch of therapy that is somatic based therapy so if you think of like emdr and cbt are what in the psychology world they call top down processes so you like think about what's going on in a person's brain and then the body follows somatic therapy is very body-based first so let's figure out a way to calm your nervous system, whether that's a oh, way to yeah. it or doing, you know, different things that are body-based. And people who do somatic therapy get lots of training in it. Um, that's really good for attachment trauma, especially. Um, so that can be really helpful. And everybody has their preference and people mm-hmm. respond differently to all of these different things. And so kind of have to you know, figure out what you prefer and make sure the person's trained in it. What's the, I've heard of people talking about, and maybe it's related to what you just said, where they, whenever they talk about something or do something, they like touch, they tap or rub or something. Do you know what I'm talking about at all? When I, um, it could be a few things. What kind of tapping are they doing? I don't know, but it didn't seem, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like an embrace. It was like mm-hmm. a systematic way. It's like whenever they either like said tap- or did something, they would, ta- yes, that alternating tapping thing. Yes. That's probably more of an EMDR thing. Okay. So like an EMDR, um, and this is how I do it online with my EMDR therapist is, you know, we'll kind of get into like, okay, go back to this place. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? And then while you're thinking about it, then tapping back and forth on your own arms. And Why? then your brain, yeah, it's it's bananas. <laughs> it, literally, it's like magic voodoo. Okay, this is what I will say about EMDR. I thought it was a bunch of malarkey. And I thought that all EMDR therapists were silly. And I was just like, that's a bunch of mumbo jumbo. And then I had a client come in who just swore by it. And I was like, okay, fine. Before I just totally disregard this, let me give it a shot. And so I went to a training and I'm like, okay, I will taste the Kool-Aid and see if I want to drink the Kool-Aid. And the Kool-Aid was legit. Um, I, I further clarified for myself, the, the things that I were, was seeing that I didn't like, which I'm not even going to get into because it's too much me criticizing things. Um, I think my criticisms were valid, but they, I have more nuance to my criticisms now. Um, but it's almost like you never would believe it until you do it, Mm -hmm. but it's just in the training, they were like, can we have a Guinea pig come up here and like, do like process a trauma from your childhood? And I was Mm -hmm. like, sure. Why not? I'm here. I'm showing up. Let's go. Um, And I'm such an open book. So I was like, okay. So in front of like 30 people, I'm like processing this thing that happened to me. And it literally. Okay. 
this might be too much. This might be too much detail, but this is what happened. So before, I can cut this out if you don't. Okay. If you don't, I don't care. I don't okay. care. You can leave it in, but if it's too much story, you can cut it out. Oh. But so before EMDR, every time my therapist would say, I want you to meditate, meditate and do a, um, like a, anything that's like self-compassion meditation. Okay. I couldn't get through it. I would get mad or frustrated. I could never do it. And I would like, listen to this, like self-acceptance, self-compassion meditation. I'm like going with it. I'm like, no, screw this phone off. Can't do it. Couldn't show up for it. And this training that I was in, of course, as therapists would do, we do a mindfulness practice at the beginning and end of every segment of a training and lots of trainings. And so I do this whole EMDR thing on this one event. And then the mindfulness that we did at the end of that portion of the training was a self-compassion meditation. And I just did it. I immediately got in my car and emailed my therapist. And I was like, I just did a self-compassion meditation and got through it after doing EMDR. And she was like, what is happening? She's so convinced that she's getting trained in EMDR right now because it was just night and day. Like it was amazing. Not everybody has that big of a change. But for me, it was huge. It's, it, what I, what I, my untrained mind is thinking is because you started with your body instead of your mind. Right. I mean, I could tell myself all day. It makes sense that I'm an okay person. I can talk myself into like all the evidence to support that I'm an all right human being. But in my gut, I don't feel it. And that was the missing piece. And something about doing EMDR just unhinged that piece. I was like, all right, no, I believe it now. I can do this. Wow. I don't think all of the cognitive work that I did before was unrelated. Like, I think that set right. a lot of groundwork in place. Sure. Um, but it it was uncanny. Freaked me out. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. But it's not for everybody. EMDR is really complicated and people who have certain types of trauma presentations need great care and caution and mm -hmm. approaching it with a really skilled therapist that can help them. Um, and if like if somebody's dissociating a lot, then they need a lot of like prep work to be able to do that. Um, what does dissociating mean? Okay, so I feel like we need to rewind and talk about what is PTSD. Okay. Maybe that would be helpful. Okay. So big T trauma, PTSD symptoms, um, they're broad clusters of symptoms. Um, within these clusters of symptoms, people have to have some in each, like some symptoms in each cluster, but not everybody has dissociation and some people do. And dissociation is kind of being out of touch with reality. So usually- yeah depersonalization or derealization. So depersonalization is I'm not in my own body. I feel like I'm watching myself from the outside looking in. Um, and derealization is you, you still feel like you're in your body, but it seems like everything around you is a movie. Like it's not real. 
like the world around you is not real. So that's dissociation. Um, the other symptoms, um, there are intrusion, intrusion symptoms. So like reminders of the trauma, mm -hmm. things like intrusive thoughts, flashbacks, mm -hmm. things of that nature. There are some specifics if people want to look it up, they can, but those types of things. Um, there's, um, I'm trying to decide where I want to go next. Um, changes in mood and cognition. So um, low mood, trouble with memory, that type of thing. Um, there's um, some like hypervigilance, hyperarousal type stuff. So not being able to sleep, always being on guard, those types of things. Um, and then, drawing a blank, can clip this part out. My brain is rusty. What's happening to my brain right now? Um, I'm asking a lot of things. So you are okay. asking a lot of things. Um, Disassociation was where you started, if that helps. Intrusion. More PTSD uh, symptoms. Yes, I'll get there. Hold on. I'm just going to jog my memory. Because yeah. I think of these, I don't necessarily think of them as clusters. Yeah. I just think through all the symptoms because they change the clusters. Um, mm -hmm. do, do, do Intrusion, avoidance. There it is. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So avoiding thoughts and feelings, reminders of the trauma, which I mentioned before. Um, right. Yeah. So you didn't you know, forget it. You already mentioned it earlier. Yes. Yeah. I just... It's funny. So the DSM-5 came out in 2013, but I was in grad school before that and was trained on the DSM-4. And I think the criteria for PTSD was one of the diagnoses that changed the most in terms of exactly what it looked like. Um, and so when I think of it, I'm just like a list of symptoms and then I can put them in categories because it has to be a certain number in each category, whatever, but just the way that my brain goes through it, it's a little bit different than the way it's read now. Anyways, but those are the symptoms. And so if somebody is experiencing those things, you can have some symptoms without having a full diagnosis. Um, yeah. But that can, I mean, it can really affect people, nightmares, flashbacks, dissociation, avoiding reminders, um, not being able to sleep, poor memory, not being able to concentrate, all of those things. And, and they're all directly related to a person's brain. Um, right. Like what happens in the brain, it all maps on, which is super interesting. Um, wow. Yeah. So if a person is having some dissociation and they're trying to do EMDR, their brain can't process it and that's where it's helpful but if they're having something like intrusive thoughts that's a good place to be able to process it and it doesn't require a lot of talking which is really great here's this is the coolest thing about trauma not the coolest but just like one example of like how cool our brains are so one of the things that happens with trauma is when people are reminded of trauma their trauma after experiencing one is a lot of times the part of our brain that is responsible for making words and speech. So like thought to words and out your mouth 
it's called Broca's area. I don't know who Broca was, but they, they, I, they found it. Um, when a person is reminded of their trauma, Broca's area doesn't work. Not everybody, but a lot of people. So when you have a person who's experienced trauma and you set them down in a therapy room and you're like, go talk. And then it's like, I can't shut down. And when they say I can't, they really can't. And there's no way that we would know that without this brain imaging stuff. So EMDR is really helpful for people who are in that situation because they're not forced to talk about it. They can just do uh -huh. the bilateral stimulation and thinking through it. And the only question is, what are you noticing? And if what you're noticing is I'm having a hard time thinking about my trauma because it's hard, then it's like, okay, we'll just notice that. And then you just keep going which is super cool. And it's not as much pressure. That's the other thing I like about it. That sounds amazing. These are really helpful. I think that, you know, someone listening might, you know, might be helpful for them. How, how do, how would somebody take a next step if they wanted to do that kind of thing? Google trauma therapist in their area yeah. or something like that. I mean, psychology today is a good resource. Um, most therapists who have openings we'll throw stuff up there it's a little bit easier and then you can filter by trauma therapist and then from there you can do a deeper dig on like what's their training and it's okay to ask it's okay to email a therapist and say hey looking for a trauma therapist I really want somebody who's specialized what type of if they don't list it on their website or their psychology today profile um what type of trauma um therapy do you do how much training do you have how much experience do you have um and whatever suits your own personal needs you know um there's also um if you're looking specifically for um a specific evidence-based practice there are some websites that you can go to where people who have been trained um and and gone through the whole process of being trained, they'll be listed. So like the, um, I think it's the child treatment program, North Carolina child treatment program. You can go on their website and you can filter by TFCBT and every person who's gone through one of those collaboratives will be listed. Um, I think cognitive processing therapy has something similar and then EMDR. So EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A. So international association, but people say EMDRIA, um, .com org, not sure which one. If you go on there, you can also do a search of people who um, have been at least done a basic training um, and then they can yeah. list themselves. And it'll also show you if they're certified. So certification takes a lot more. You have to get extra supervision, a certain number of hours of practice. Um, so those are also good resources to find somebody that is um, That's really specialty trained in those areas. Yeah. So I got one more question, then we'll wrap up. I don't even really know how to ask it. I'll just sound it out as I'm thinking it. Uh, how do do you have any advice for somebody for how they can prepare themselves for the therapy? And I guess the reason I'm bringing that up is I would imagine if somebody hasn't gone to therapy about trauma, one of the reasons why is because they know it's going to get 
worse before it gets better or they they might think it's going to mm-hmm. get worse before it gets better it's they like, might get worse i don't want to bring up better. they might just be like i don't want to bring up all that shit because it's just going to be terrible yeah but yeah. then they know they need to but mm-hmm. so what if once they know they need to but they know it's going to get rough do you have any advice on how to prepare for that in terms of how to still be functioning in life while you're going through I mean, how do you go to work and take a break from work and then go talk about trauma and then go back to work or go mm-hmm. make dinner for the kids? Any, yeah. any advice? Day, 8 a.m. on a Friday. And then I start doing therapy with my clients at 10 a.m. I give myself a one hour buffer. So quite the so transition. How, right, how do we, how do <laughs> how we do prepare? Do um, a couple of things. I think number one, know that you don't have to walk into a therapist office and one week later, dig into the deepest part of your trauma work. Okay. It is okay to spend time getting to know a therapist, mm-hmm. build some rapport, feel comfortable with a person, make sure that you like them, that you want to stick with them. Not every therapist is the right fit for every person, even if they have the training that you need. And wow. that is okay. And it okay. takes time to get to know somebody. So That's to cool. To know that you're going to like hash out all of this stuff with a stranger feels weird. So like, it's okay for them to become not a stranger to you. But how do you even do that? Like if you're a client, if I'm the client and I wanted to figure out like, okay, I want to go, go to a therapist and I'm going to talk with you, but I'm not going to get into the deepest trauma for like several sessions. What do I even talk about then? everything else <laughs> tell me about okay. your dog i don't care so it's fine you know, to like, just just talk you? about whatever you yeah. feel like whatever on your mind yeah. even maybe even maybe those lowercase t things yeah. right or it could be what are your symptoms like we can talk about flashbacks without talking about what's oh right it can be the i'm not yeah. sleeping i can't whatever yeah. stuff it doesn't How have do to be why yet stuff? yeah it could be i can't focus at work i can't you know this is what's happening i mean so this is the process that I go through. I will outline how I function as a therapist. Somebody reaches out to me and says, Hey, I have trauma. Could you be my trauma therapist? They might ask me some questions. Some people want to do a consultation. Some people don't. If they want to, sure. I'll have a 15 minute conversation. And sometimes it's me asking them questions. Sometimes it's them asking me questions. That's okay. And then if it feels like a good fit, we schedule it. The first one or two sessions is information gathering. So you're coming in the door and you don't have to know what to say. It's my job. Like that's what I'm there for. Um, And so it's, what are your presenting symptoms? What things are bothering you right now? What do you want to get out of therapy? What are your goals for the work that you want to do? Um, And then some background, like what, you know, just basic medical stuff, basic background, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. I mean, just like, I jokingly tell people like, you're going to tell me your life story essentially by the time we're done with all this stuff. Um, but in broad strokes and you don't have to get into all the things. Um, when we get yeah. to the trauma assessment part, what I do is I say, is there anything that hits these key categories? Mm-hmm. Sexual assault, yes or no? physical violence yes or no verbal abuse yes or no i you don't have to tell me the story just a yes and or no. and somebody can just say i don't want to answer that yet and that's fine too that's totally fine yeah Absolutely. yeah 
Because then they're just getting in the groove of like, do I yeah. want to hang out with this person at all? Yeah. <laughs> right. And they can right. just say like, not today. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of intake forms, a lot of therapists will have you fill out a form before you show up and it'll say, have you had a trauma in your life? And you can check, uh, you can leave a blank. A lot of people leave a blank and I'll just say, I noticed that you left this blank and they'll just be like, I'm not ready. That's cool. All right, noted. Or in um, my case, in my case, I'd leave it blank because I wouldn't know if mine counts. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? It's that yeah. same thing of like, I don't want to put yes, because then I'm going to tell you yeah. and, and you'll be like, that's not a trauma. That's not a trauma. <laughs> like and you'd it's okay say to that. say like, you can write, I'm not sure on the form yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, right. let's talk about it. And so that's why yeah. I would say like, you didn't mark this. And you're like, oh, that's because I'm not really sure. And be like, well, tell me about what happened. And whatever bucket we put it in of whatever definition doesn't matter if it's affecting you. So yeah. we just go from there. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say even, I would rather somebody tell me like, it's more helpful for the therapeutic process for somebody to say, this is the category or like, mm -hmm. if they do want to tell me more, just a brief summary of what happened, but without right. getting into every nitty gritty detail on day one, right. we don't even have to go there. That's okay. Yeah. We'll get there. It's a um, good start just to, yeah, just to, just yeah. to start. <laughs> Just to start. And then if, you know, one of the goals is I want to be able to enjoy my life. Well, you can enjoy your life because you're waking up from nightmares every morning. Then yeah. maybe we start with what do you do when you wake up? Yeah. When you wake up from a nightmare, then like, okay, what can you do to help orient yourself to your day? Right. To feel a little, even just a smidge better to walk through right. your day. Um, or if you're having trouble focusing because you keep thinking about your trauma. What can we do about that? And then that you build up a relationship through those conversations and then say like, okay, now what's our next step? And with any trauma treatment modality, the first thing you do is talk about how to cope with symptoms across the board. And it's usually, how do you calm yourself down? How do you relax yourself? And then that prepares you for the rest of the work. So a good trauma therapist who is trained well is not going to jump in to the deep end. This is a the analogy that I was trained to use that I use all the time is we are easing into the pool. It's cold. It's very uncomfortable. We are not throwing you into the deep end. Just mm -hmm. one. And we can do, I don't know, you can put the, your toe in the water and take your foot back out or you can get to your ankles. It doesn't like, if you're okay with getting to your ankles, then cool, let's do that. But if the tip of your toe is all you can manage for today, that's fine too, whatever works. Um, so I think some of it is figuring out what pace you need to go at and those types of things, but getting into the deeper work, there's a lot of preparation and there should be because you don't, and then that's what makes going into the world so much easier. So kind of my routine is, trauma therapy session, one hour buffer. And I know what helps calm my nervous system down, mm -hmm. which is usually going outside, walking around, mm -hmm. um, swinging on my kid's swing set. Swinging is the best for me. Mm -hmm. um, or talking to somebody is really grounding, mm -hmm. doing some other type of distraction. Like I know what my things are at this point, And then I'm ready to jump in and be a trauma therapist at 10 o'clock, <laughs> um, which is so wow. weird. That, like, it works, but it takes a lot of practice and um, doing that practice before you get to needing it is really important. Um, so I also, also I'm hearing 
to take care of yourself before you take care of someone else too. Oh, you don't yeah. do, you didn't do it oh, in reverse yeah. order. No, no. And anytime that it is the reverse, the reverse order, my work shows me, you know, like I'm taking care of other people and I'm like, I am not my best self today. I need yeah. to reverse and figure yeah. out what I need. Um, so I tell people, I, that's why I talk about going to therapy. There's yeah. no way I could do my job without doing this work. No that's way. So, that's so great. Cause I'll tell you what, there is someone I know of someone I'm going to be as generic as possible. I know of someone that, uh, was a counselor and I asked them this many years ago, I asked them, man, doesn't it just wear on you to listen to these stories and to process these things with people? How do you, how do you manage your own weariness? Yeah. And, And they were just like, Oh, it's, I love it. It was great. And I remember going, something's what? up. I remember going, <laughs> something's up with this person. Uh-huh. And it was, and I, again, I'm being as generic as possible. It was like really bad for a really long time, things that they were hiding. And, sure. and it yeah. was like, instead of just going, yeah, I do get tired and I need to go to therapy for it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> somebody, one of my clients <laughs> asked me the same question recently. And I told the story that like, usually once a quarter on a Friday afternoon, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders after a whole week. And then I just cry. Yeah, there we go. For like an hour. And it's just, it's not, it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with me, but it's like, there is pain and suffering in this world and I'm bearing yeah. witness to it. And it's, yeah. I would be sometimes. a robot to not feel feelings. I can't do it while I'm at work. I can't do it all day long. Yeah. I can't do it while I'm parenting, but it is okay to have a moment where it's yeah. like, this stuff is sad Release. and it's heavy. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think on the flip side, the thing that keeps me going um, and is really helpful is seeing the progress that people make. Like I wouldn't do this yeah. if it work and even seeing small steps that people make you know what other people might not even notice in themselves as progress I can see um and so some of those things I have like a little journal where I would write down like Mm. you know this thing happened and that was Mm -hmm. like really important or holding Mm -hmm. on to notes that people have written to me like you know I got an email when, you know, somebody being, especially with the eating disorder where people like you saved my life and because they were really physically ill. And then you cry and then you and then cry. I cry. And I'm like, this is <laughs> yeah. why I love this job, you know? And so it makes the hard stuff worth it, mm-hmm. you know? And like, we're here to see the hard things to get to the other side of it. And, um, and there's something really, I don't know. I feel like it's such a huge honor and that's why I love it. It's like, it's an honor that people trust me with that and that they're willing to share those parts of themselves with not me, but like to let me be a part of their process is like huge, you know? And, um, and then I'll cry about how special that is if you catch me on the right day. Um, but yeah, there's something really special about it that I just think it's great but but yeah there are days that I cry and I'm like the world is falling apart how are we gonna how are we all surviving this is like like you said like this sounds so just how are we all surviving in the world you know and there are definitely those days but yeah 
Well, I hope that that was helpful for someone. And I wanted to say a quick thank you to the patrons that support this podcast. If it wasn't for your dollar a month or $5 a month, this podcast wouldn't exist. Thank you so much for your support. If you are considering being a pa- becoming a patron of the podcast, for as little as $1 a month, you can keep this thing going, whether it's supporting equipment, website, or my endeavors that I'm trying to create more teaching video shorts and paying professionals to help me make video teaching shorts. Your $1 a month or more really does help. And so if that's you and you would like to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash things about things. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash things about things. And then as always, you can go to thingsaboutthings.com for more things.